I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 3. We're going to spend just a moment here looking at a list of the disciples, the 12 disciples. I'll invite you to stand as we turn in God's Word to Mark chapter 3. We're going to begin here with verse 13 and read down through verse 19. And as we do this, would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen, amen. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to them, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boarnishes, or something like that, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May God add this blessing to that word this morning. Please, you can be seated. Well, I hope you had a uh, blessed holiday season. I hope you were able to spend some time with your family and you had as good a situation as we did. Uh, the kids have gone back to school. Faith and Micah went back to Cedarville and Asbury yesterday. They were ready to, to get out of the house, I guess. But uh, we had a lot of fun playing games, uh, eating a lot of food, uh, watching movies, spending time together. We, we, we enjoyed that. And I hope that you enjoyed uh, your season as well. I'm certainly grateful for those times that we got to share as a family. But I want to reiterate this fact for us today. And that is from Psalm. 133, which uh, the psalm begins in verse 1 that says this, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. You see, I believe that that's really God's vision for the human race, that we would see ourselves as a family, that we would all together enjoy a sense of unity and purpose centered in our love and adoration for God, our Creator. That's why God created human beings, for community. That we would know God, love God, know each other, and love each other. That's the kind of community God had in mind. But of course, sin came along and messed all of that up. And instead of unity, what we, invest, what we often have instead is division. And we are very good at dividing. We're very good at dividing into groups. And many, many ways that we could spend some time listening this morning. But about 2,000 years ago, Jesus began a little group. He chose 12 to be in that group. And with my first message of 2022, I want to talk to you about these 12 disciples. And I guess we're going to do this over the next couple of weeks because I realized on Friday that I was going to run out of time. I had bitten off more than I could chew. Now, I'm, I'm aware of this, that Adrian got you out of here in 45 minutes last Sunday. And I know a lot of you are feeling cheated. So we're going to make up for that 
today and, and see, but I realized I was probably going a little too far with trying to handle all 12, but, but, there, uh, but, but there are some things I'd like to say, and, and this is important that we deal with this list of 12 disciples. I, one of the reasons is I think this message can be helpful, because when you get to heaven, there are a lot of people who do not know who the disciples were. And so when you get to heaven, the disciples will, of course, be there. And so when you see one of them, you're going to say, oh, hey, Thaddeus, I knew you. You were one of the disciples. Way to go, man. You did it. Well done. So that's a good thing. You'll, you'll know who these people were. But I'd like to think about why this morning were these disciples chosen? And then ask the question, why has God chosen me? Now, Jesus' last instructions to his disciples, you may recall this, when he was ready to ascend to heaven, he gave them one final command. He said to them, go and make disciples. That's what he told his disciples, that they are to go and make more disciples. We are the fruit of that vision this morning. We are disciples because they became the most impactful team formed in human history. And not only are we the fruit of that work, but what we have to understand is we are given that same command, that same vision that Jesus gave to them on the mountain, that we would too go and be disciples and make disciples too. So here for a few minutes, let's talk about these 12 disciples. Now first, I, I want you to notice that there were 12 of them. I think that that is, in fact, a loaded number. You will remember that there were originally 12 tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. But uh, things broke down. Sin had its sway. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes we talk about the 10 lost tribes of Israel in history, and we won't go through all of that history, but through invasion and corruption and disruption, the vision that God had set out was badly broken. So when Jesus comes along and he chooses 12 disciples, the reality is he is acting out something very important. He is saying, I'm forming a new community, a new community of 12. God's dream for community is alive. It was launched with Israel. It broke down there, but it's beginning again with me, and I have chosen 12. That's what the 12 represent. 12 was not a coincidental nice number. It meant something. And so who is he going to choose? Now I want you to think about who would you want on your team? You'd want to, when you were on the uh, uh, elementary uh, recess uh, park and field, you always wanted the best, right? The, you chose the greatest athletes, the smartest kids, the popular kids, the brightest kids, the richest kids. Well, 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 let's start with this list. Let's start with Simon. Jesus gives him the name Peter, which means rock. Rocky would be the equivalent today, I guess, of, of what Peter would be called. But in all the lists of the disciples of Jesus, Peter is always listed first. One writer said that he was first in faith, but he was also first in failure. You remember some of the stories. Jesus gets out of the boat one day and he walks on water. Peter says, well, I can do that if I have a little faith. And then he gets out, he walks for a second, and then he sinks, and he falls, and Jesus has to bail him out. 
Jesus is trying to teach one time that he is going to have to suffer on the cross and die. Peter interrupts him and says, Jesus, don't talk about that. I need to give you a course on what messiahs do. Obviously, you don't know what messiahs are supposed to do. You remember then Jesus turns to Peter and rebukes him this way. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine a more intense rebuke than that? I remember Jesus is being taken away in the Garden of Gethsemane by soldiers. He wants his disciples to respond with faith, cooperation, and in peace. But Peter grabs a sword and swings and cuts one of the men's ears off. Peter's a fisherman. I don't think he's a very good swordsman. He's not good at that. He's violent. He's clumsy. And Jesus tells his disciples... They're all going to desert him when he goes to the cross and is crucified. Of course, Peter brags. He says, Lord, listen, all of those guys might give up on you, but I will follow you to the very end. You can count on that. And of course, if you know the story, Peter is there close enough to deny Jesus not once, but twice and then third, three times. Even after the resurrection... The Apostle Paul has to confront Peter face to face. Peter was going down the wrong road, trying to appease a bunch of legalistic people. And Paul says, enough, Peter, you're not doing this right. One commentator says, Peter should have not been called Rocky, but Rocket. The reason is, is he was always shooting off his mouth. You know, let me ask you, Anyone ever feel like they mess up more than they get things right? Is there anyone here, as you even begin this year, you feel like you, you, you say things that maybe you shouldn't have said it quite that way, or you weren't thinking before your mouth started into gear? Peter's your man, and yet Jesus chose Peter. The next two guys are interesting. They're always listed, and they're actually brothers. They're listed together very often. We have James and John, and Jesus must have liked nicknames because he calls them the sons of thunder. Another accurate translation would be the sons of anger. Uh, and that might tell us something, especially as we look at their story. You think about it, back in the ancient world, the god of thunder, Zeus or Thor, was not an expert at impulse control. And so Jesus was probably telling us something about them with that nickname. You remember, for instance, one time they were going as a group into a Samaritan village. And the Bible tells us that they felt like they were not being welcomed properly. Now, you remember that, that Samaritans and Jews, there was a lot of bad blood with them for decades and, and actually hundreds of years. And so when these disciples walked into the Samaritan village, I'm sure many of them already had a chip on their shoulder. But when they go into the village and they're not welcomed properly, you know what James and John say to Jesus together? Would you like us to call down fire on these Samaritans? Would you like us to turn them into crispy critters and all of a sudden? Well, of course, Jesus responds, I don't think that's a good idea at all. That was James and John. These men were impulsive. Another time, they decided that they wanted to be the greatest in God's kingdom. We want to be first. We want to be second in your kingdom. And so what's interesting, of course, is they get their mommy 
to approach Jesus and ask him, can I, will you let James and John be first and second and sit on your right and sit on your left when you come into your glory? And Jesus looks at James and John and says, listen, I'm sorry to disappoint your mother, but it's just not going to happen. One time, John sees someone casting out demons in Jesus' name. I think John must have been afraid of the competition, and so he tells them to stop it. And he goes to Jesus and says, didn't I do right? Didn't I do good? Jesus says, no. Actually, if somebody is not against us, they're for us. So let people do good, John. It's not about you, John. It's not about you. Fascinating to me, and I've never thought about this until recently, but there appeared to be a little bit of a competition between John and Peter. There was this little bit of rivalry. You remember after Jesus was resurrected, they actually raced each other to the tomb to see who could get there first. When Jesus told Peter he was going to have to suffer, you know, Jesus is raised again, he's thinking about the future, and he says, Peter, I got some news for you, you're going to have to suffer, it's not going to be easy, you're going to die for me. You remember what Peter does? He turns and he looks at John and says, well, what about him? If I have to suffer, doesn't he have to suffer too? And Jesus says, Peter, don't you worry about that. So there is this rivalry going on between these two men. And so when, when, I think it's interesting, when Jesus goes to prepare for the Passover meal right before he is crucified, guess who he sends to do the preparation? The Bible says that Jesus said to, J, uh, to Peter and John, go and make preparation for us at the pass, for the Passover. I think maybe Jesus was saying, listen, you two, you've got to work together. You've got to work together. You've got to learn to serve together. So this is what I want you to do. I want you two to go make the soup. You know, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, we're told one day that it's Peter and John who go to the temple to pray. I want you to think about that because suddenly we have this picture it's a new day, and here these two men are coming to the temple together. They're worshiping together, they're praying together, and something happens. If you remember the story, a cripple comes and asks for some money. Now, they don't have any money. That doesn't sound all that unfamiliar. They don't have any money, but they respond to this cripple. They say, listen, we don't have any money, but what we do have we want to give you. And so at that moment, they lay their hands on this man and they pray for him and he is instantly healed. At that moment, they begin to talk about Jesus and their love for Jesus and what Jesus can do in people's lives. Suddenly there's this, this amazing uh, thing going on as people notice that this cripple is healed. They're getting the attention. The people around them are paying attention too. And my goodness, the religious people, the authorities don't like it. And so they look at Peter and they look at John and they say, stop it. Stop preaching about Jesus. And of course they refuse to do so. And probably one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is found in Acts 4. And it's this one. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, 
and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, now stop, stop right there. Who would choose that? These are not the men who are skilled in rhetoric. These are not the brightest. They are not the most talented. They are not the most gifted. They are ordinary, unschooled men. Who would put these guys on their team? The interesting thing to me is this, this word ordinary. You know, the Greek word for ordinary is the word idiotis. Anyone want to guess what word we get from that, for that in English? Go ahead. Idiot. Fascinating, isn't it? These were knuckleheads. And yet, God was going to use them. Unschooled, ordinary men, to put it mildly. No credentials. But then, of course, the rest of the verse says this. But they took note, these authorities, that they had been with Jesus. What makes the difference? How do ordinary, unskilled, maybe not so talented, maybe not wealthy people make a difference? They've been with Jesus. I just want to say for a moment, listen, as we start 2022, if you want to make a difference in your life, if you want something substantive to occur to make a difference in your life, let me challenge you, friend, to find a way to get to be with Jesus. I'm glad you're here this morning. You've made a wise decision to be in the house of God with the people of God, in the spirit of God, because he's here. But don't neglect that opportunity throughout the week to spend time with him on a daily, and quite frankly, to, to be in prayer often throughout the day because people who are with Jesus make a difference. They had been with Jesus, and that changed everything. In one of the last episodes we see of these men, the gospel is being preached, the word of God is spreading according to the book of Acts because it's all about Jesus. Jesus is being proclaimed, and this is what the Bible says, that when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. I love that picture. Because who wanted to burn Samaritans? Who wanted to make them into those crispy critters? John, the old John. But when you've been with Jesus, your perspective changes. And you love differently, and you look at things differently, and you look at people differently, and you look at possibilities differently. Jesus changed everything. Sons of thunder. Nobody would have drafted them. But they're in this group. Let me ask you this morning, do you ever regret your temper? <laughs> do you ever have an impulse problem and can't quite control things? Well, be aware of the sons of thunder and what God did in their lives. Now, I'm probably going to look at some of the other disciples next week. 
But what I want you to understand, what I want you to take away with you this morning is that God often surprises us with the discovery of the kind of people he uses to do his work. Turns out that God often uses very ordinary people to do extraordinary work. Turns out that God loves to surprise us about the people he uses. And one of the reasons I guess it has to be this way is this. When an ordinary person is enabled to do an extraordinary work, God gets the glory. And God alone wants the glory. Last fall in Illyria, uh, uh, the Illyria Peace Mennonite Church reached out to us. They had sent me an email and we had some conversations and said they had been watching our ministry from afar. They knew some of our members. They were aware of what we believed and they felt a real alignment with our our beliefs and our values as North Olmstead Friends Church. That church, by the way, is located on the west side of Illyria, right near the airport. Some of you may know West West Ridge Road. I'm having trouble with that today. But it was built in the late uh, 1980s, and it's a very nice, beautiful facility. But over the years, the church has declined to about 20 regular church attenders. The pastor who has been preaching there is now 80-plus years old, and he lives in Toledo. So for a number of years, he's been making the trek back and forth on the weekends he can attend. The congregation, to make it even more uh, difficult, They suffered the loss of their lay leader this past summer due to issues of COVID. So this congregation is looking at what's going on in their life, and they understood that if something radically didn't change for them, they would be shutting their doors very soon. Hans Lehman is their current lay leader. He is the congregational representative, and he and I have talked several times. He's a fascinating guy. He's a professor of Christian history at a small Boston college. So he flies every week to Boston during the semesters to teach uh, back and forth, uh, a, a neat individual. But as we began to talk, he began to ask us as a church if we would consider joining into a partnership where Friends Church would adopt their church as a campus of our ministry. Our leadership, including the elders and staff, met with some of their leaders. We had some initial discussions. We prayed together, kind of began to feel out what this might look like, what it would become. And I want you to know up front that my default position on this is, no, we're not going to do that. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? I know this, that planning a church, revitalizing a church, Doing a campus ministry, all are very difficult things. And then you add the fact that we aren't anywhere near where I thought we would be after our own building program two years ago. I thought we would at least be at 600 on a Sunday, maybe 700, 750. But right now, and I think it's largely due to issues regarding COVID, we're, we're more in the range of 300 plus on a, any given week. And I'm certain that COVID is a part of that. It's just the season and many churches are discovering it's hard. So the timing seems to be less than ideal for such a project. But recently I came across a quote from Ed Stetzer 
that I have not been able to, to, to give up and I keep thinking about. And this is what he said. He said, the moment we are in does not pause the mission we are on. The moment we are in does not pause the mission we are on. And friends, I want to tell you, if you need to be reminded this morning, that one of our key uh, factors, one of our key goals is, is that found people find people. There are still people in our community who don't know Jesus, who need to be connected to a community where they can find grace and love and fellowship and worship. And anytime I see a church that proclaims Jesus Christ come close to closure, it, it breaks my heart. And so the uh, Lord began to speak to me and began to speak to our eldership, and we began to wonder, Lord, are you calling us out to go beyond what we think we could do to do this? So as I began to wrestle, I realized that, one, this church in Elyria is in pretty good financial uh, condition. They own some beautiful property. They have a very nice piece of property. The building itself has been well-maintained, and those who are there are willing we believe, to experience a radical change in order for them to thrive again. So in December, I presented a plan to Hans and the leadership of that church, whereby we would agree to enter into a formal partnership where, and there are a number of exit ramps along the way at any point, but the point would be that by Easter of this year, April 17th, not far away, that this, that church there on West Ridge Road would open as Friends Church West. Now, we'll talk about the name uh, later. Now, I realized that this, I was going to be aggressive with my timeline. I didn't want it to stretch out. I thought it was uh, very aggressive to be sure. But what we agreed to do is this, that Pastor David Hoovler, our discipleship pastor, would oversee and become the point person for this time of transition and discussion and all, and take on the role, if need be, as a campus pastor there. I've been praying all morning. Pastor David is, in fact, there this morning, preaching, giving his first message. And next Sunday, now, of course, Dave might have taken a dive and it may have gone terribly, I don't know. But uh, next Sunday, if everything went well and they are, as a congregation, they're coming together and we expect them to vote to enter into this process formally. Now, I want you to know, our elders will continue to monitor the progress as a leadership team. Dave right now is beginning to develop a, a small team, of le a leadership team, four to five people from our church, four to five people from the congregation there, and begin to assess how we can move forward, whether it's regards to calendar, worship, different types of programming and ministries. And if we actually embrace this and, and start again in uh, April, we will do a formal relaunch, big deal kind of relaunch in September, this fall of 2022. So that's the, the, that's the big news. That's the story. That's where we think we might be headed as a congregation. Now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? Well, one, it means yet again, as a church, we are trying to reach out in a creative way in our community to give people the opportunity to hear the gospel and become a part of God's family. 
You know, it's amazing to me, but I've read the statistics. One of the statistics that sh- demonstrates again and again is it's most often that new believers are, are come to Christ and join a church often at these new start possibilities, whether that's a revitalization, a restart, or a new plant. So we believe that God is going to raise up and give us new growth just because of that. That is the mission of the church, by the way, to always be finding people. Why? Because we've been found. But it also means that we're going to need a lot of people to step up. Because saved people serve people. You see, God saved you. Yes, because he loves you and he wants you in heaven. But God saved you here on this earth. Why did, you know, God could have saved you and just taken you to heaven right away. He didn't do that, did he? God saved you because he wants you to be a part of saving someone else. This is what I think. Pastor David's role in our church is going to change. It means he's going to spend more time, especially over these next few months, being invested in this project. So listen, we're going to need leaders to help in our own discipleship ministry right here like never before. We're going we're gonna to have to raise up some leaders to help us. Men, men's Bible studies, men's leadership, men's ministry. Dave, Dave oversees our adult ministry. We're going to need some leaders, some core people to step up. We're going to need some teachers and facilitators. We're going to need a growth group coordinator as we launch out. Now, we've got a lot of new people here, and the reason I'm sharing this is because I suspect that God already has those people in our midst. We just don't know him yet. Pastor Dave has been helping in our media ministry in the back. He's often helped with cameras on Sunday. We need some people to step up and help with media right back here. But we'll also need some media people over there. We've got a whole new platform that we're going to have to work with. It might involve live stream and all those things. Dave is forming a leadership team, as I've mentioned, but we're going to be asking you, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but at some point, we're going to be asking some of you to consider starting to attend and worship over there in Elyria West. I've got a list of the ones I want to send, okay? Uh, uh, Yeah, just, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Over the years, I've been here for quite a few years. Uh, Adrian pointed that out last week, didn't she? But over the years, we've helped restart or plant at least five different congregations. This is the first time we are actually looking at a campus where we are going to be sharing resources, ministry, vision, and purpose. But listen, my goal is this. I see this as an opportunity for us because my goal is this, that everybody in this church by the end of this year will be able to identify in some way, this is my role. This is what I have been called to do by God. This is my call of service. This is what I can do. I'm ordinary. I might be uneducated, but this is what God has called me to do. I think that's the kind of community God wants us to be. Stanley Hauerhouse said this. He said, the task of the church is to serve as the best example of what God can do 
with human community. I'd like us to be that example. I'd like 2022 to be that kind of, uh, give us an opportunity to be that kind of family together. Now, how are we going to do this? I'm no expert on multi-church, certainly not an expert on the media. You, you aren't either. Couldn't we just be comfortable? Can't we just keep doing what we do? Couldn't we just kind of be content with what we are and what we have? And yes, we could. There was a kid who was fishing in a pond and he was having some good luck catching fish. There was an elderly guy on the other side of the pond and he kept watching this young man fishing. It went on for about an hour. The young man would, would pull, on, pull in a, a, a fish and, and he'd look at it. And if it was smaller, he'd keep it. And if it was larger, he'd throw it back into the water. Well, this is very curious to the older gentleman. And so after about an hour and watching this happen several times, he, he finally made his way over to the other side of the pond and said, hey, son, how, how's the fishing going for you? And the little boy, he said, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm catching a lot of them, as a matter of fact. Well, he said, you know, I've been watching you for a little while, and I noticed that you keep the small ones and you throw the big ones back into the pond. That's kind of interesting to me. Usually it's the other way around. The boy said, oh, sir, I only have a seven-inch frying pan. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just need to get a bigger frying pan, don't we? Sometimes I think God would call us to throw away the frying pan, put it into the pond, and let's go after the big ones. Jesus said, when I call you, I will make you fishers of men. And so a church that isn't invested in that, isn't creatively thinking about how to do that, isn't thinking big enough that I think that, that one of the things, I guess I look at my ministry, I want us to be known for trying big things, even if we fail to do great things, to have great hope, to anticipate God doing some amazing things with the people that we have. I will never forget, listen, I have been a blessed, blessed pastor. And one of the greatest blessings that God gave me was a mentor when I was in college. His name was Prof. Roy Lauder. I've had him here preach a couple of different times. But he was a mentor to me. One of the sermons I'll never forget I heard him when he was preaching. He said, you know, when he stood before Jesus one day, he hopes he is tattered and torn, weary and bruised because he didn't waver to serve Jesus every day. I think about that a lot because there have been times I want to quit. There are times when I just would like to settle down and get comfortable. But I always have that picture in my mind. Lord, I, I want to be used up for you. This is what I think. What could cause a Mennonite church to reach out to a friend's church and say, we'd like to join you? Could you help us? We don't have any money. I'll show you that. We're family. We're united under grace under the cross and we just feel like if we can help we ought to help and I guess I'm just at a point in my ministry I'd rather try and fail 
than not try and wonder and be comfortable. But I'm going to need your help. And there'll be many, many ways, and we'll be talking about this over the next few weeks, I'm sure, that I'm going to ask you to help. And I pray that you will be open to that and be praying about, praying about this project. It's a big one. We can't do it without being with Jesus. But also praying about what God wants to do here in me and you. Because I believe 2022 could be our best year ever. But let's get rid of the old frying pans. You know, Bible talks about old wine skins and new wine skins. And sometimes we just got to think differently. And I believe this is one of those days. Appreciate your attention. I appreciate your, your uh, concern for this. I know that God is going to do some marvelous things and teach us a lot about himself in the days ahead. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Father, I know that uh, the hour is late and I've kind of just dumped this on everyone and everybody's kind of thinking about what this might mean. But I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to maybe get rid of some old frying pans and dream bigger and have greater expectations than maybe what we've had previously. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony that we see in people like Peter and John and James and the others, Lord, that you took these ordinary people and you used them to do great things for your kingdom. Lord, would you do it again in this room? I look out and I see amazing talent. I see gifted people. I see people who love you. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would fill us up with yourself, and in doing so, we would have a passion for those who don't know you yet. That, Lord, you would seal in our hearts and minds a call to mission, to ministry. Lord, we only have a few breaths in this world. May we make every one of them count. Jesus, I pray. You'd help us to see clearly and give us a sense of unity in these days ahead that you would allow us to be the kind of people who find people because we're saved people, Lord, we would serve each other. I ask all of this in your precious name. Amen.